Welcome to the MK Perspective. This is a podcast where three missionary kids talk about missionary kid-related stuff. Daniel, Sean, and Taylor all grew up in East Africa in the homes of church-planning missionary families, and all three share the same burden for ministry in East Africa. Having grown up in a different culture than their parents, and having been involved in ministry both in East Africa and the United States, the guys are equipped to share a unique perspective on missionary kid life, missions work, and ministry in general. Join the conversation now on today's episode of The MK Perspective. Welcome and karibuni sana katika this episode of The MK Perspective. I am here with my good friends, Daniel Simonson and Taylor Rains, and today we are going to be talking about the daily life of an MK. Daily life of an MK. What does that mean? Well, that means a lot of things to a lot of different people, I think. It's true. I was thinking about, like, okay, the daily life of an MK. I know what my daily life was like, and I kind of know what your guys' daily life was. But we really don't know the daily life of missionary kids in East Asia or, like, Russia or Europe, or Australia. But I have, I do have this, yeah, South America, like, we don't have a reference point for those areas of the world. I guess what I was thinking with this is that missionary kids kind of, in general, have a lot of similar elements, no matter where you grow up, because a few things are true about every missionary kid. Number one, they're living in a country that is not their passport country. So my passport country is the United States. I did not grow up in the United States. I grew up in East Africa. And so me and a missionary kid in Argentina have that in common. Neither of us grew up in the United States, but we're both from the United States technically. So that's, that's an element that we share that we have in common. Um, What are some other elements that most missionary kids would have in common? homeschool there we go that's true a lot of missionary kids homeschool whether you're in siberia you might be using abeka videos just like the guy in australia is using the abeka videos and so you both have pensacola christian academy mr and mrs howe in common (laughs) you have some of the same people in your life even though you live Mm -hmm. thirty-five thousand miles apart and don't have any relatives but you have mr and mrs howe in common what or what are some other doing uh, bob jones uh-huh bob jones pj yeah. or some other i know for my my homeschool i grew up homeschooled we used uh one main curriculum called sunlight sunlight you kind of let you choose which which uh individual curriculums for different uh, subjects you could use i did use a becca for a while um, and then mm-hmm. I actually went to the Beckett Academy for a short time as well. So that was kind of neat getting to meet some of those video teachers in person. But um, we kind of used sunlight as our main curriculum. Mm-hmm. And that meant Saxon math. Whew. Did you guys ever have Saxon math? No, I just heard a lot of stories about it. <laughs> yeah, if you I've haven't taken that. Saxon math, you've heard about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <'Cause it's> awful. 
It's terrible. <laughs> well, while we're on the topic, Sean, do you think there's a big difference between someone who is homeschooled and a homeschooler? I know I've had this debate with some friends before. You've had this, you've actually had this discussion with people. Yeah. That's crazy because. Between a homeschooler and someone who is homeschooled. Ah, yes, there is. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I don't want to offend anyone. So the way I'm going to describe these two types of individuals will be from the perspective of not wanting to offend anyone. So a homeschooled person, in my thinking, is, okay, you were homeschooled. Okay, that's where that comes from. Maybe I wasn't homeschooled my whole growing up years, but I was homeschooled for a short time, or maybe I was homeschooled for most of my life. But when I think of a homeschooler, that's like another level of like being a little bit more sheltered and some of the social skills might be lacking in a certain way in in certain areas. But I would I would say that doesn't mean that yeah that or the way you dress you know you, people can tell you're homeschooled homeschooler. So let me ask you, Taylor, were you homeschooled or were you a homeschooler? Oh man, well, what would you say uh, of yourself? I would definitely say I was more homeschooled than I am a homeschooler because like I went yes. to Kenyan public school for a while. That's what I was going to mention, like Taylor. And then I went to Christian school some that. while we were on furlough. And then I did some homeschooling in Kenya. So I've had all sorts of different kinds of schooling. You went to public so, school in Kenya? Mm-hmm. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, my younger what? elementary grades. What was Kenyan that like? School. Oh, that was that was really good. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, huh. The teachers, you know, you got caned. If you <laughs> talk, in, <laughs> talk in class or whatever, the teacher would just start hitting your fingers or whatever with a bamboo cane or uh, I remember one time some of us were being really bad uh I'm sure I was involved in it somehow I can't remember what we did but uh she had all of us who were being bad all boys lined up on the front of the classroom and one by one she laid us out on the front desk and just proceeded to paddle us and then sent us back to our chair crying and uh (laughs) it was awesome (laughs) we loved it (laughs) what i was so my class was a mix of um kenyan national kenyans um and then because there's a lot of indian folks in kenya there was a lot of indians in my class and then i was the only white boy in my class there was uh yeah my siblings were in the school and stuff so i wasn't like the only white person around and um I really liked it. We, it was a fun class, but you know, I kind of got some special privileges uh, because I was everyone's favorite. So they picked me as their class prefect. You know, so in other words, I would tattletale if anybody talked in class when the teacher wasn't there. And so uh, I remember writing people's names on the board that I didn't like, and then they would get paddled <laughs> when the teacher came. Back. <laughs> that is was, like that is a dream job. Right yeah, was, that is the life. Was, I really had power over people, man. That's it was terrible, but we loved it. We had a lot of fun. So I grew I, up, you know, uh, speaking Swahili with them and stuff. That really helped my Swahili, I think, immensely. It's because I just spoke it with everybody there, and um, I had a lot of good friends that I still friends with today that I went to school with, and 
a lot of open road uh, inroads, you know, into different families. And it might be difficult, you know, in other countries or in different settings to put your kids in the public school like that. But where we were in Pika, you know, it worked out really well, I think. I think um, I think that's true for a lot of missionary kids is they've had a variety of schooling when they grew up, um, you know, like mm-hmm. for me, I did some Christian school, but I mean, not very much, but I did have a little bit of Christian school in there. Um, and I think that helped me a lot when I came back to the States, having a point of reference from which to interact with other school kids. I kind of already knew what it was like being a school kid. So I kind of slid into that perhaps a little easier than some missionary kids do. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know. Um, what about you, Daniel? Tell us about your formative years. Yeah, <clears throat> I was um, homeschooled as well, uh, along with my brother Aaron. So he's two grades ahead of me, two years ahead of me. Um, so yeah, my mom would teach us. And then um, when we got older, my dad would teach them with some classes as well, uh, like Bible and math and different things. Uh, so it was nice just being able to uh, be flexible, um, especially with furloughs and things like that. Um, being able, we could kind of set our own schedule. And there are times I'd even uh, be able to work ahead of time because maybe we were doing something the next day or going somewhere. Um, it actually reminds me when you think of um, the daily life of an MK, I was just thinking how it's kind of changed over the years as Kenya has developed. Uh, mm-hmm. Even something as simple as transport, um, whereas now you can go to Nairobi relatively easily and you're there in 30 to 50 minutes or whatever, you get your things, then you come home right away. Whereas not too long ago, uh, before the big highway was built, um, if there was a trip to Nairobi that week, then you'd have to get your school done ahead of time. And then that took the whole day. <laughs> and it would take forever to get there, forever to get back. And because of traffic and different things, that whole day of going to do shopping in Nairobi was like a, a big event. Mm-hmm. And you had to plan your entire, almost your week <laughs> around that. Um, so just that kind of, that would affect your school, that affected everything yeah i guess that's one thing that kind of is unique about mks is you have to plan your whole school week around a shopping trip to go get groceries (laughs) well for us i mean you guys had it easy i mean you could be to nairobi and back in one day i mean if we were going to nairobi man we had to like that was like that along with camp that was that was that was like the one week out of the year like we'd pack up we'd you know go there for a week and then come back because we have to cross the border and, you know, get visas and all of that stuff. So Nairobi, I remember when I was very young, I mean, like five, six years old, um, sometimes I would have a difficult time differentiating in my mind Nairobi and the United States because, <laughs> because no, think about it from the perspective of, of a really little kid. Nairobi yeah. has like all of these malls and like tall buildings and, you know, to me, modern amenities, you know, <laughs> compared to where I lived in Tanzania. And then uh-huh. we'd go back to the States and, you know, similar, you know, there's McDonald's and Walmart and all of that. So I think the first time we visited Nairobi, I was a little confused. I was like, wait, it's Africa, but it's 
like modern like uh, yeah I was, <laughs> I was i was confused That's kind so, of funny if because... there's anybody from south africa listening um <laughs> we hate you guys <laughs> no they're probably it's so dying laughing that we're saying nairobi is like modern africa <laughs> what's funny is south that africa. like Nairobi when Sean was five years old is like way less about <laughs> nothing compared now. to what it is so now. Like, oh, I don't so know true. if there were even malls in Nairobi when you were that age. There was like Sarit well there was yeah, there was like three <laughs> or four. There was Sarit Center, uh Yaya Center. Was Village um, Market there? Village Market was there. Market. Yes. Yeah. Village Market was there. Mm. I remember that. Um I feel like there was one more. What am I missing? Oh, Junction. I think Junction oh, came along yeah. a little bit later. But, mm. but, um, but th- then that's, you know, that was in Nakimat's heyday. So you had <laughs> Nakimat's all over the place. You know, you had Nakimat Mega, you had Junction Nakimat, you had, um, what was that? What was the green place? Plaza, something Plaza. Yeah. Um, um, but that was like one of the ones. I know what you're talking about, too. but yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it's crazy. When I came back to the States, I went and visited some missionaries um, on an Indian reservation out in New Mexico. And uh, for them, they had a shopping trip every month where they would go into a town and get shopping supply, you know, get supplies. But they literally had to get like, bring a whole trailer with them to get everything they needed because they got everything they needed for like a whole month and then drove back out into the reservation. And like where they were was just complete desert, you know, just out in the middle of nowhere. So here I was, you know thinking a trip once a week into Nairobi was a big deal and here they are in America <laughs> you know MK's in America driving and having a one month shopping trip you know once a month shopping trip so that's pretty legit yeah another yeah. reason that Nairobi trip was so key was because okay so we live near Thika there's plenty of stuff that Thika has now that it didn't have five ten years ago and so there are certain things you needed you had to go to Nairobi and you couldn't just go down there and come back. Yeah. It was a big event. So. Oh yeah. And now Tika yeah. has like its own mall. That's kind of the way it was with my wife's um, Elizabeth's where she grew up in Nakuru. Like they have their own mall now and they have like, mm. they have one KFC and they have mm. Java house. I guess they had Java house for a while, but like now it's like up and coming. I think Nakuru is the third biggest city in Kenya yeah, after it's Ma- really it's Nairobi, Mombasa, and then Nakuru. And oh. so they have a lot more available now than they did in the past as well. So it's amazing how fast East Africa is developing. I mean, absolutely mm-hmm. rapid pace in some areas, some of those urban areas. I mean, even they think about when our parents first came to Africa, um, how much has changed since then. I mean, yeah. Daniel's been there the longest, of course, I think of us three and his parents before him you know 35 years imagine what east africa was like 35 years ago i mean it's it's unbelievable how far we've come since then so yeah so you know with the daily life of an of a missionary kid uh some of the common factors have been of course um we did not grow up in our passport country we've homeschooled um or at least most of us have or have had a variety of schooling uh, whether it's christian school a little bit of national public school depending on where you are that's possible um a lot of missionary kids go through language school you know when taylor was talking about 
um, going to a Kenyan public school, it kind of remember uh, reminded me of my experience with language school when my parents first went to Tanzania. And oh. I remember some things from, from that. Um, did you guys go through language school at all? No. Like, do you I, remember that? I never did. Cause I, I just grew up speaking it. My parents did. And Daniel, I'm sure it's the same for you. You pro- your parents took it, but you probably never did. Did you? Yeah. My mom and dad, um, went to language school. They actually drove through Nairobi Game Park every day nice. <laughs> um, to go to language school. <laughs> wow. It's amazing just to think about that. Um, but yeah, in our school, we my mom did um, teach us Swahili and things. Um, wasn't really anything intensive. And part of that was because we would go outside right away and play with all our friends and all they knew was Swahili. Right. And um, so, yeah, that was really how we learned it was just playing with friends and talking to people so right yeah so for me um i actually um struggled with learning swahili um well first of all i'm not a very linguistically apt person um i don't pick up on languages that quickly um and i actually had a couple bad experiences when i was really young when we were first there it kind of turned me off and so i kind of was a little bit more uh, fearful of interacting with the tanzanians Um, And so I think that kind of affected my uh, desire to learn Swahili. So I really didn't start learning it well enough to communicate that well until I was in my teens, like right when I was starting to, I was starting to be more interested in learning. And so by the time I was 15, 16, you know, I was conversational. And by the time we left, um, I could hold decent conversations in it. And I was like substituting teaching Sunday school um, and children's church for our church there um, in Swahili. So that, that kind of really threw me forward as far as that goes. But for like most of my growing up years, I did not speak nor understand very much Swahili. So like I remember language school because um, that was kind of one of the bad experiences. We just moved and my parents were in classes by themselves. And then they had these other classes for the younger kids And so I would be separated from my parents for like, you know, the almost the entire first part of the day from like nine o'clock to like after lunch. So I was just with like all of these strangers that I'd never seen before. And I was terrified, you know, and a couple of the kids, you know, like bullied me and stuff. So I would always try to break away from the class and find where my parents were. And and like so so, stuff like that kind of turned me off from wanting to interact with. Uh, the nationals uh, later on. I also had some other experiences, um, but um, I know a lot of people, especially who came to Tanzania, went to language school, and that really helped them. And depending on mm-hmm. where they were at in their growing up years, it really helped them because um, you know they were able to get right into the culture. And 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 uh, when you're a kid, it's a lot easier to learn language than once you become an adult. So yeah, yeah that's so one that's, thing I can't really connect with. Um, some MKs with, I guess, it's kind of a mix that I meet, like some of them went when they were later. And so they had to work on learning the language or they never even did end up learning the language. Um, But like for me, I just, I was always told growing up that when I was first learning how to speak, I would speak English and Swahili and then one of the tribal languages all mixed together (laughs) into one jumbled sentence. And so no one could understand me. Um, what was so, your tribal language kikuyu kikuyu yeah nice because i just played you know grew up playing with um kikuyu kids yeah. and so i just never had to really learn swahili like that and so that's one thing i can't relate with some mk's about um but 
for anybody who's listening, maybe you are an MK living on the mission field right now and you don't know the language, um, I would really challenge you guys to work as hard as you can on trying to get the language down uh, for yeah. multiple reasons. Um, you'll just like the country better, I think, and the people will love you a lot more if you know their language. And every person I know who I've talked to who grew up in a different country and didn't didn't ever take the time to learn the language always regrets it. And so that's true. And I think it there's um like you said about the people will love you, but you'll also end up loving the people more because mm-hmm. there's a joy that comes with interacting with people in their own language that I did not get to experience till I was older. Uh, they become a lot more human to you, um, it, so to speak. Like I can remember the difference in how mm-hmm. I thought about the nationals when I was younger and I did not understand the language. Yeah, I mean, they were people. So mm-hmm. before they were just, I, I had no frame of reference for understanding them. They spoke different. They looked different. They smell different. They eat different things. They live in a different way. But when you start mm-hmm. to, to talk to them, all of a sudden, wow, this person, you know, feels the same way I do about this, you know, and, and they, they laugh at the same things that I laugh at. And there's just a joy in the interaction. And then when you get into, you know, ministering to them a little bit and, you know, you're singing songs with them and they're telling you things about them and, uh, you know, kind of telling you their story and opening up to you, then you start to realize, wow, you know, God created everyone. And, you know, at the end of the day, we all are, you know, we go through the same emotions and um, we, you know, struggle with some of the same things, you know, mm-hmm. and, and just, it becomes a lot more real to you. So yeah, even in just a recent trip I took for my internship in school, this past summer, I was in some in Uganda for my internship. And I was out in the middle of nowhere, uh, in some villages, um, in some mountains, along the Uganda South Sudan border. I mean, there was like no white people within days of that area. And so when people first saw me, you know, I would go up into some village and people first saw me, uh, they would just like laugh or, you know, they just were super attracted by seeing a white guy there. Um, yeah. But as soon as I learned just even how to say hello in their language, I went from being an anomaly to being a friend with them. And, yeah. Uh, I just, you know, sharing the gospel or trying to do the Jesus film with them or whatever totally changed when I could just greet them in their language, even if I knew one or two words. It changed a lot of things for them. So here's an interest uh, while we're on this topic, we might have to d- divide this episode up into two parts. Um, but um, I like kind of, I kind of like where we're going with this. Uh, let me just share something real quick. I know we're kind of leaving Daniel. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Daniel, you still there? <laughs> um, but let me just say this and then we'll try to move on. But um, the, um, when I visited the Congo for the first time, um, what, the first time we visited Congo, uh, we were staying in Arua, Uganda, and then we crossed the border into the border town of Aru. And then we went from there to the prov- providential capital of Bunia. So in that area, a lot of people spoke Lingala, which is a different uh, Bantu language as their primary language. Um, so when you listen to it, it has some similarities to Swahili, but the words are, are different. So you don't understand what they're saying. Um, but a lot of the people had Swahili as a second language and like a lot of people would speak like three or four languages, which in Tanzania, you know, that's true in some areas, but in Tanzania, everyone speaks Swahili. Like that is their language. 
Um, and probably if, in most places, if, if they speak their tribal language, it's not exactly their first language. Like most people would have Swahili as the first language. In Congo, though, it's most people's second languages, at least in the area that I visited. So with that, the way that I communicated with the Congolese who spoke Swahili was actually, actually very, um, what should I say? It was very, it was a really neat experience for me because Swahili was my second language and Swahili was their second language. So we both kind of had this mutual, um, almost respect for each other because neither of us are speaking our first language. So neither of us ha are, is superimposing ownership over the language, which, you know, happens sometimes if you're speaking to somebody in a language that is their first language, but it's not your first language, you know, mm -hmm. they'll chuckle if you mess the language up or they'll, they'll kind of have this attitude of, oh, you know, this poor person doesn't know this, you know, my language that they're speaking. But here I was an American who I was told the Congolese, I grew up in Tanzania and they automatically assumed that I spoke better Swahili than they did because, <laughs> oh, Uko Tanzania, Ameangia, you know, uh, Swahili Sani Fusana, right? Because mm -hmm. they, they speak really good Swahili in Tanzania. Um, and so they automatically assumed that I, I actually spoke better Swahili. And you could see, try to tell that they were like trying to speak Swahili pretty good for my sake, you know? So <laughs> it, was, it was a really odd dynamic because here is some, some Congolese who obviously they speak probably better than I did, but it was, it was a different Swahili and it wasn't their first language, but they were trying really hard to communicate well in it. So going back mm -hmm. to the joys of communicating and kind of establishing that mutual um, understanding and relationship between people, I was able to do that really well in Congo because I had taken, you know, I was getting better with my Swahili and I had taken some French. So I was able to understand what they meant when they were, you know, popping in their French words here and there because uh, they're very, um, uh, have you know they were colonized by belgium so they speak french uh, to a certain degree so that was really neat for me that was probably one of the highlights of my of my growing up life is being able to visit congo and of course the lord used that to call me back there and that's where we're headed back eventually so i think probably the lord used that in my life to be able to 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 just experience that joy of um, understanding other people in a different culture a different language yeah, so. I think that's really important. And you used the word there, respect. And um, I think there definitely is um, a greater level of respect that um, nationals will have for missionaries who try to learn their language mm -hmm. and want to speak to them in that way. Um, obviously, if God has called um, missionaries to a certain place and Obviously, God's going to use them there, but if they really try to learn the language, um, the people really appreciate that. I think of uh, my mom, for example, and the church that we're working at right now, um, and just how she teaches the children uh, in Swahili. When we didn't have a permanent property, we were renting a room that was just on the street, and um, so people walking by would often stop. And we just admire, like, wow, here she is. Uh, she could be doing something else or having a translator or something, but she's teaching these our children um, in their language, and I just really appreciated that. So I think mm -hmm. it's really important. Yeah, and I'm astounded at the amount of 
Americans who will go overseas to a country where English is not the first language and they will spend a long time and they will not learn the language. Um, now, I understand you can minister in English in a lot of places. You can minister in English in Kenya. And, um, you know, depending on who it is, you know, you could have a very effective ministry in English. But so I'm not necessarily talking about that. I'm talking more about the places where you go and like people don't speak English at all. And yet you do not take the time to learn the language. Um, you know, so if you're, I'm just going to pick one out of, you know, out of thin air. If you go to, um, what's a country that doesn't speak any English? If you go to, let's say, Kazakhstan, uh, Kazakhstan right? <laughs> or Congo for that matter. Okay, there you go. Congo does, doesn't speak any English because they were colonized by the Belgians. So they speak French as their national okay. language. So no English whatsoever. And you don't take time to understand the language and to learn it. Uh, that's a, I think that shows a lack of respect for the people there. And you will not have a, an effective ministry um, because people, you'll always be distant from people. Um, I think the, the, the key to understanding a people and a culture is their language because um, an argument could be made that a lot of uh, uh, that comes out of a culture comes from their language. Like we talk about the Swahili culture, right? So there are uh, cultural elements that come from the language itself. And it's kind of, you know, people who speak the same language generally have the same mindset about a lot of things. So, you know, people in Tanzania and Kenya have things that they assume to be normal and true because that's their culture and they speak the same language. And that's kind of all tied together. So um, to learn to learn about it, to learn a people is to learn their language. And the better you can understand their language, the better you can understand the people. And I think the more effective the Holy Spirit can use you to minister to people. So, well, shall we wrap up this segment of the daily life of an MK? Daniel, you want to sign us off? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there are definitely uh, different elements to the daily life of an MK. Thankful that we're able to talk through some of them, and we'll see you next time as we continue this discussion on the daily life of an MK from the MK perspective.